Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. One of the many things that made Jesus the master storyteller was the way he was able to take the simplest of situations and even objects to help those listening to see God, God's kingdom, and their own discipleship in a fresh and compelling way. And even now, that's still the case. I mean, who would ever think of something as basic as salt or, say, light as a whole new way of life and living? Well, that's what today's message is all about. It's based on Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, as recorded in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20, and we're calling it To Shake and to Shine. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You know, I'm not sure who researches these things, but here's a fun fact for you this morning. It has been said that salt has more than 14,000 uses. That's right. Now, mostly, when we think about salt, we think, of course, about its use in cooking and how it brings out the flavor in food. It's also something that doctors will warn us against using in excess. But it's also used, for instance, for the protection and preservation of food. This was especially true uh, before refrigeration became part of the norm. It softens hard water. We used to see that a lot when we lived in the Midwest. It helps to regulate boiling. And sometimes it's even used as an ingredient in fertilizer. It's salt, or some kind of salt, that is, that gets thrown on our doorsteps and walkways this time of year. And it helps to melt the ice that's frozen there. It's what helps keep us from slipping and falling, which for me is a premium, as I know it is for you. And it, by the way, is the same principle that's essential in the making of homemade ice cream. Salt is also medicinal in nature. You knew that. It's useful in healing or cleansing certain ailments. One of the very first things that doctors recommend in this perilous cold and flu season is, in fact, to gargle with salt and water. It is also worth noting, speaking of fun facts, that our salty tears are medicinal. And it goes a long way to soothing sore eyes, to say nothing of what it can do for our saddened souls. I even read something recently uh, that I'd really not thought much about, but it's amazing. The amniotic fluid that protects unborn children is slightly saline, that is to say salty. So in fact, you and I actually come into this world protected and preserved, at least in part, by salt. Now, of course, this appreciation of all that salt can do is nothing new. And it was nothing new in biblical times either. In biblical times, salt was overwhelmingly viewed as a valuable resource. If you read through Scripture, you will find it mentioned time and time again, particularly in the Old Testament, in connection with Israel's covenant with God. Specifically, it's mentioned in connection with, with the purification and the offering of sacrifices. Salt was, 
symbolically at least, considered something of a sign and seal of that relationship between God and his people. So what's clear is that salt serves a religious purpose, to be sure. But did you know also that in Jesus' day, salt was also used as currency? That's right. Special salt rations given to early Roman soldiers were known as salarium argentum, which was the Latin forerunner of our English word salary. And in fact, it's where we get that expression, to be worth one salt. There you go. So, all of this trivia, or not so trivial trivia, to say to you that when, during his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said to them, you are the salt of the earth, he was speaking of much more than simply something to add some flavor to an otherwise bland meal. Jesus was referring to that which was and is a necessary element of life and a necessary part of one's relationship and life with God. Which, as we've heard in our text for this morning, as, as, uh, as Kay just shared it with us, is why it makes sense that in nearly the same breath, Jesus also says to them, you are the light of the world. Because yes, light is also essential to our lives. To begin with, light keeps us from stumbling around in the darkness and banging into furniture in the middle of the night. I speak from experience. But we also know, especially in these long dark nights of wintertime, how essential light becomes to our physical and emotional well-being. Literally, figuratively, and spiritually, light does illuminate. Light brightens the dark places of our lives. Light shows us the way to go. Light helps us find things, right? But it also tends to reveal the true quality and the character of what we find. And of course, biblically speaking, our very existence has everything to do with light. From the very first word God speaks at the time of creation, which is, of course, let there be light, to that moment in the fullness of time of the coming of Christ. What John says is the true light that enlightens everyone coming into the world. So you see, from the very beginning, now and forevermore, light gives us life. And it's with all of this in mind, you see, that Jesus says to them, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Now, it's arguably one of the most familiar and oft-quoted passages you find in the gospel, certainly one of the most often referred to of Jesus' teachings. In the words of Caroline Lewis of Luther Seminary in Minneapolis, these two exhortations of Jesus represent the great and holy attributes and promises of discipleship. Jesus' words in our text this morning offer us the flavor, if you will, of life it, as it is defined by the coming kingdom of God. And it's, and it's a radical statement indeed. But here's the thing, friends. 
Here's what we need to consider as we look at this text, as we hear Jesus' words. It's what transforms, what is an admittedly sweet and very familiar Bible teaching, one that a lot of us heard in Sunday school, is what transforms it into a challenging reality in these days of confused situations. You see, it's personal. And I say that because you'll notice here, if you look in Scripture, that Jesus is not talking about those people who are poor in spirit or meek or pure in heart, as he does actually just before our reading today. It's the Beatitudes. Nor has Jesus been telling the multitudes on the hillside that they ought to be like salt or like light. In at least one sense, this is not a call to a new kind of lifestyle that someday, if they work really hard at it, they might be able to achieve. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are light. And not just a mere little sunbeam, mind you, but you are the light of the world. This is who you are already. Everything that is essential for life, everything that brings us meaning and power and vitality, that which is salt, that which is light, it's already right there inside of you. And it always has been. You see, this is a gift. A gift of God's truly amazing grace. It is a gift of life and love and mercy that exists within each and every one of us here. And it's everything that we need for the living of these days. It's what we have, should have, do have for being a child of God. However, that said, the real question is not whether or not we're salt and light, because we are, but rather about what we're going to do with that. You know the saying about how with great power comes great responsibility? Well, it is also true that this blessing of being salt and being light comes with responsibility. Caroline Lewis again, she writes that it's one thing to know and to claim your identity. It's another thing entirely to live it. And here's Jesus on that hillside preaching that sermon. And he's saying we have to live it. And why? It's for the sake of the kingdom of heaven coming to pass here and now and not just in our future. In other words, friends, our response to this gift of amazing grace that God has given us must, must be to reflect that grace in the way we live and the way that we relate with others. Otherwise, what's the point? Otherwise, what's the point of the gift? You know what? That's one of the things I really love about this passage, that in Jesus' words, there's not a whole lot of wiggle room here. You are the salt of the earth, he says, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? What's interesting about that statement is that even in Jesus' time, people understood 
that salt in and of itself does not lose its flavor. Salt is always going to be, no matter what, salty. So the effectiveness or the value of salt essentially comes down to the one making use of it. You know, you put a little salt piece, a bit of salt in your soup, you might not taste it. You put too much in it, oh boy, you taste it. It makes a difference how you use it. If we are salt, then, it follows that it's you and I who brings forth its flavor and its vitality. Otherwise, well, actually, the message translation of this says it all. If you have lost your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? I think that's my favorite translation ever from the message. If you have lost your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? It's no accident, by the way, that the Greek word that's used for salt uh, in this particular passage, the word for salt having lost its taste is moranos. And that's right. That's where we get our word moron. <laughs> or foolish. I'll let you do with that what you will. All I will say is, if salt becomes tasteless and useless, Jesus said, then it's going to be foolish. And if it's foolish, what good is it? And you see, the same standard applies to the ways that you and I see or how we are light. No one after lighting, excuse me, no one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, where it gives light to all in the house. Light is not light unless it shines. Quote Carolyn Lewis one more time in these verses. Jesus reminds us that knowledge about God cannot exist as simply knowledge. It is not enough to know about God. As disciples, we have to be the activity of God to the world. We are called to live out our identity, our God-given identity as salt and light. Or if I might put it another way, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are meant to shake and to shine. We're to shake and shine in a way that by our very actions fulfills the law of God so that our righteousness exceeds that of even the scribes and Pharisees and assures our entry into the kingdom of heaven. Folks, that's the sum and substance of the gospel reading for this morning. And as I suggested before, Jesus doesn't provide a whole lot of gray area where this is concerned. Every day and in every way, as Jesus' disciples, we are to shake and to shine. And that's great. And at this point, I should be saying, thanks be to God, amen and amen. We should sing the closing hymn, except, except, I don't know about you folks, but there are days, times and situations when I just don't feel like shaking or shining at all. I mean, sometimes I'm having a lousy day. Yup, even ministers have bad days from time to time, believe it or not. Maybe I've been hurt somehow. 
Maybe I'm overwhelmed and stressed out with stuff going on in my life, and I am not feeling all that inclined to offer flavor and brightness to those around me. I want to crawl into my hole and be grumpy. Actually, I bet you do understand this. I'm guessing you've all been there. Maybe you're there today. Who knows? I mean, this week alone, right? All it's taken is to see, hear, or read anything on the news to make one want to completely withdraw from any kind of light-giving activity. Simply put, on a day like this, in times like these, given the way we're feeling, how can Jesus ever expect to let our light shine before others, much less in a way that gives glory to our Father in heaven? Because sometimes, sometimes you just don't want to be salt and light. I remember once some years ago in a prior parish, I'd been asked if I might help out at our local soup kitchen. And while I had volunteered for that duty some days before, joyfully and eagerly, I have to confess that when that morning arrived for me to do that, I was neither joyful nor was I eager for the experience. Bottom line, for some reason I, can, I still cannot recall, I was in a foul mood that morning. A situation made worse by the fact that our church the night before had had a, a, a soup supper and they had contributed some leftovers. This huge, heavy, hot, sloshing over pot of stew that I was to bring to the soup kitchen, which I had to carry the three blocks between the nearest possible parking place I could find and the soup kitchen. Trust me here, for me, there was absolutely no flavor, no brightness about this particular act of discipleship. In fact, I had decided that just as soon as I dropped off this stew at the soup kitchen, I'd make up some excuse and get out of there as fast as I could. But of course, you know, you know how this goes. I couldn't do that. The kitchen was shorthanded. They desperately needed people like me to wait tables. So me in my foul mood grabbed a coffee pot and started moving from table to table. I've always said, some of you have heard me say this, that one of the great things about working at a soup kitchen, be it someplace like the Friendly Kitchen or where I was at the time, the Preble Street Resource Center, is what you don't expect from the experience. I mean, what you're expecting and what you see are the effects of poverty and homelessness, drug abuse, mental illness. You expect to be amazed and horrified about how rampant and how very local hunger truly is. You expect and are unsurprised by the kinds of troubles you witness in a place like that. And I was especially moved every time by how many children are there with the adults. All that you kind of expect. You walk in knowing that is what you're going to see. But what you don't expect, what ends up surprising you, what ends up surprising me at least, is what a joyful setting a place like that can be. The kind of laughter and lively conversation that happens around those tables. The gratitude that's expressed for simply another cup of coffee. The kindness of people who have absolutely nothing of value to offer you except to ask how you're feeling and to kid around with you and to laugh with you, to let you know that they are with you 
even on this random Sunday morning, that you would have rather spent elsewhere. Well, suffice to say that my mood that morning changed very, very quickly. And I left there humbled and aware of my responsibility to be salt and to be light and to do what I do to reach out and to love, not with noise and cacophony, but with love for the sake of the kingdom, to shake and to shine as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Shortly before he passed away, Eugene Peterson, who a uh, renowned preacher and scholar, and he was actually the writer of that paraphrase of scripture I draw from so often, the message. He was asked what he would preach on if he knew that that sermon would be his very last. And he answered that he would probably just focus on what the people around him were already doing every day, and then to try to help them do it in ways that glorify God. In my last sermon, Peterson said, I guess I'd want to say, go home, be good to your spouse. Treat your children with respect. Do a good job at work. At the end of the day, beloved, it all comes down to being salt and light in an often difficult world where we live and with all the people we know and love, even the ones who are difficult as well. We reach out in love, but always letting our light so shine so that they might see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. So might it be, beloved, so might it be, so might we shake and shine. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. Recorded at our February 9th service of worship at East Church, that's the message entitled, To Shake and to Shine. Along with just a little bit of music from that same service, our East Church choir singing a verse of that old gospel hymn, Close to Thee. That was Susan Goulet, our director of music on the piano.
And that brings us to the end of this episode of Love to Tell the Story. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks for your support of this podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, and until next time, shake and shine wherever you can. And as you do, may God bless you with a great day. Talk to you soon.